Heavenly Father, I would just pray today that we understand just the greatness of Your love. That You would literally give Your only child, Your only son, for sinners such as us. Truly, that is an amazing love that this world has never known, but yet, God, You made it known by sending Your only Son. And I pray, Jesus, that we understand that our lives, that we give those, our lives back to You, and God, that we would do our best to live for You, to honor You, to share Jesus Christ with this world, the greatest love ever known to mankind. God, thank You again for this time that we get to worship You. I pray that You have been exalted. And I pray, God, that as we leave here today, as we hear your message, God, that you would help us to understand your word and that we would leave here with a new spring in our step that we would want to do that to honor you and to tell people about Jesus Christ. Thank you again, God, for loving us. Thank you for this opportunity to worship you. And I pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Verses 1 through 12. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus, seeing their faith. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. Three lessons for us in this passage today. The first lesson is the lesson of the faithful four. What an effort they made, a great effort. It's my hunch that this was a spontaneous decision. It's my hunch that this was not planned out. It's my hunch that if it was planned out, they would have been early. They would have had this paralyzed man in front of Jesus before the rest of the crowd was able to gather. But they had heard that the big crowd was there. They had heard that Jesus was in this house. And they knew about his healing. They knew about the possibilities. Their faith led them to that place And they made a quick decision. I can just see them walking down, going probably to the house. And they're walking down the road and they've been seeing this guy because he's paralyzed and he's been on this mat for a long time. Capernaum is a little village on the Sea of Galilee and there's no question that that they had seen this man before. 
But there was an opportunity right before him. An opportunity presented itself. And so these four men did all they could do to get this man to Jesus. They did whatever it took. And so these men are men of faith and they're men of great effort. When I look at these four men, I think about this is the way we ought to be. We ought to do whatever we can to put people in a place where they can hear Jesus. Where they can be exposed to Jesus, to His truth, to who He is, to what He does. And, and they were willing to do whatever was required. Now, I have a little experience in a crazy way with trying to get... A But she insisted that she get baptized in the church. And I tried and tried and tried to talk her out of that, but I just couldn't get her talked out of it. And so I said, all right, we'll do the best we can. And what we came up with was not a mat, but it was a sheet. And we had four of the strongest guys we could get on each corner of the seat, and we literally carried her up the steps and lowered her down to the baptistry. And my job was to stand over and say the, the baptismal words, and I had to take my hand and put it over her tube that was in her throat that helped her breathe. And, and when we put her down into that water, and I had my hand over that tube and we brought her up out of the water, she was radiant. Her face was full of joy. But my stars, she was heavy. And she wasn't a heavy lady, but with all that water and the sheet and everything, it, was, it, was, it took tremendous effort. And so for these four men to put this paralyzed man on the, you know, to take this mat and to climb up that house and get up on that roof and lower this man down took tremendous, tremendous effort. We need to make that kind of effort to expose people to Christ. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, whatever is required we are going to make that effort. And that's what these four men did. I would love to have been there to see that. I would have loved to have been in the crowd and heard people saying, who's tearing up this roof in this house? Who's doing that? Who's going to pay for this? What is going on here? You know, what in the world same place? You people are nuts. What are you doing lifting that man up the side of that house? You can imagine what people were saying about these events. But these four men had that faith and they were focused and they weren't concerned with all the things that could go wrong. Can you imagine the liability issues that were being talked about? Can you imagine the people saying this doesn't make any sense? You ought not to do this. This is too dangerous. This is too extreme. You ought not to go there. But these four men picked this paralyzed guy up and put him up on top of that roof, made a hole in the roof, and lowered him down to Jesus. The second lesson we have in this scripture is, in verse 5, seeing their faith. You have the lesson of what was his greatest problem. What was his greatest need. Seeing their faith. Now, do you think Jesus is talking about the faith of the four, or the faith of the five? 
Now, my personal opinion is, no question, he's speaking about seeing the faith of the five. Not only did those four men have faith, but this paralyzed man had faith. Now, this paralyzed guy, he didn't go without knowledge of this. He didn't go without his okay. I don't see any way that anyone would have taken this man uh, up this up on top of this house on this rooftop without his consent. You want to go get? You want to go to the guy? You want to go to Jesus? Do you want to? You want to go see him and see what he can do to you? He was in. Sure, let's go. Let's go do that. Whatever you got to do. Can you imagine that? That made that poor guy really nervous being picked up, put up over these guys' head, and however they climbed the side of that house to get up there. I mean, it took a lot of faith for this guy to go there because here he is. He can't catch himself. He can't take care of himself. He can't break his fall. I mean, this is probably putting him in a place that he had not been before. But he was willing to go. And I believe that what you see here is Jesus saw the faith of the five. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, now, everyone there would have believed that the paralyzed man's greatest problem was that he was paralyzed. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Obviously that would make sense. What is his greatest problem? Well, we may not be able to see what everybody else's greatest problem is, but there's no question, the paralyzed man, this is his biggest need. He's paralyzed. And his life can be enriched, his life can be better. If, if this guy can be healed by Jesus, this guy can go on and live a normal life. But that's not the perspective of Jesus. Jesus did not see that this man's being paralyzed was his greatest problem. Jesus saw that the fact that he was not forgiven of his sin was the greatest problem the man had. You know, Jesus had no room for what we call today the social gospel. The social gospel is this. Educate people, teach people, feed people, clothe people, meet, meet all those social needs that people have, work on housing, work on good, clean water. Now, all those things are important. All those things matter. And I believe that Jesus would have paid attention to those things. But the most important thing to Jesus is that people need to hear the Gospel so that the good news can enter their minds and the Word of God can saturate their soul, their spirit, and they can be forgiven of their sins. You see, from the perspective of Jesus, how this guy lived his life here on this earth was not as important as how he lived his eternity. And so he was concerned that this man had not been forgiven of his sin. And so the priority of Jesus was always that people have a right relationship with God, that people be forgiven, that people have faith in Him to a point that they know for sure about their eternal destiny and their eternal life. And that's to be our heart. That's to be what we're all about. Now, 
I believe that Jesus would have, he did heal this man, as we'll talk about in a moment, but he would have met his need, he would have helped him with food, he would have helped him with education, he would have helped him with a life, he would improve the quality of his life here, but the sole purpose of that is so that people can see the glory of God and people can see how important the gospel is for people. And so, I, I think that probably at this particular point, the only person that saw that this man's sin was his greatest need was Jesus. Now as we read the Word and we pray for the power, we need to pray. We need to read this Word. My child, your sins are forgiven. We need to ask ourselves, what does that mean to us? It means that if we have not elevated our perspective, our goals, our, our priority list of what really matters most in this life, we need to allow the Spirit of the Lord to elevate our motivations, our passions, and that the most important thing is that people hear the good news about Jesus. They are born again. They are forgiven of their sin. Because until that happens, we really do not give people an opportunity to truly live better here. They're still trapped with whatever everyone would believe their greatest problem is. Now, the truth of the matter is, man can just clean himself up to a point. Man can just better himself to a point. If a man's problem is a physical illness, medicine brings him to a point. But, but, but God does the miracle. God does the touch. God is the one that makes things work. If, if someone is, is, is overcome with some sin, a sexual addiction, some, some habit has been formed, some, they are overwhelmed with some hurt or habit. They've got to come to a place that there is no barrier between them and God so that the power can, can be experienced. And, and this man needed a fresh start. This man needed forgiveness of sins before he needed new arms and legs that would work for him. That's where our heart needs to be. Sin is universal, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. People may look like they're good. They may look like they have no issues with sin. They may look like they've got everything under control. They may look the part. They may sound the part. But all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Sin is universal. Everyone needs to be forgiven of their sin. It is our nature to sin. We, are, we, we, we come into this world and, and we all are under this yoke of sin. And the only thing that breaks this yoke of sin is an experience with Jesus where we can be forgiven of our sin. And certainly, what ought to motivate us, what ought to deepen our passions about the greatest need that people have are the overwhelming, horrible, haunting, consequences of sin. And we need to understand that. The Scripture is very clear. Unbelief is sin. Unbelief causes a man to experience the consequences of being separated with God. It must be remedied on this side of eternity. People have got to believe here. They've got to come to grips with their sin. That their sin separates them from God. And the only way to have that sin forgiven is through Jesus.
No other way. Not through human improvement, not through religion, not by cleaning themselves up, not by being moral, not some kind of religious code makes a difference. Only faith in Christ. And that's where our passion needs to be. The third lesson that we have here in the story begins in verse 6. But some of the teachers of religious law, that's the scribes, who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. They are right about that. Only God can forgive sins. Their problem is they didn't believe that Jesus was God. They just believed that Jesus was a teacher, a rabbi, perhaps even a prophet, but not God. And so what he was doing with blasphemy, and the penalty of blasphemy is death. That's very interesting, isn't it, when we consider the plan of God for our salvation. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? That's a good question. That was a great question for them then. That's a great question for us now. Why do we question the gospel in our hearts? If you're outside of faith in Christ, if, if you're not quite sure, if you're watching this and, and you're just, that's you, you question the things of God, you question. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. You question faith alone in Christ. You question the work of Jesus on the cross. It doesn't make sense to you. It ought to be a works-oriented salvation or atonement. That's where you are. It ought to make more sense. I've heard more than once in my life that if that someone might embrace Christ or might believe in God if, if someone would explain to them an understanding of God that they were okay with, that's questioning God in our hearts. It's got to make sense. It doesn't make sense. It won't make sense. The truth doesn't make sense for human reason. That's why it requires belief. Because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. You and I have had no experiences with the resurrection. You and I, apart from the Holy Spirit's work, we won't believe in sin. We won't believe in the consequences of sin. We won't believe in the truth. Romans 3 says, because of sin, no one understands. No one sees God. No one has the right mindset for that. You're right, it doesn't make sense. It will never make sense. It will never add up. And the crazy thing is, until you believe, you won't know. Until you believe, you won't see. Until you believe, you won't experience. You mean to tell me that you've got to believe before it makes sense? Yep. And then it won't make sense, but you know that it's real because faith is a substance hoped for. We don't see it, but when we believe, we experience it. I don't, I don't know how wind happens. I know it's got something to do with low pressure and high pressure and the rotation and all these other things taking place. I can't explain how wind happens. I can't go and take you to the place where the wind started today, this morning. The wind began right here in this field. I can't do that. But you know what I can do? I can take you and say, look at that tree. You see those leaves moving? Yes, that's because of wind. That's what I can point you to. I can point you to the experience that I and others have had with Christ. 
We have been touched by Him. We have been born again. We have had our sin forgiven. And our lives are different. Our thoughts are different. Our heart is changed. Our heart is different because of what Jesus has done for us. He's made it happen. Why do you question this in your hearts? He says in verse 9, It is easier to say, Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or... Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, the reason why they're questioning what Jesus is saying in their hearts is because, as we will see later in the Scripture, very clearly the number one problem they had with Jesus was His crowd. The number one problem they had with Jesus was the power that He was taking from them. And they saw them losing ground. They saw Him being a troublemaker for them. And they were going to lose their people, their power. They were going to lose their political clout. And so for these scribes, it was not theological primarily in their objection, in their questioning. It was political. It was a political statement they're making. They use a theological term here. Well, only God can forgive sins. What in the world is this guy saying he forgives sins? They weren't even about to wait and see whether or not he was the Son of God. That he was God. Their minds were already made up. The only reason they're in the house is they're looking for an opportunity to get rid of him. The scheming had started. The scheming had begun. And they weren't giving Him a fair hearing. And they thought they had something. They thought they had a theological, more importantly, political charge against this Jesus. And Jesus does something here that I know they didn't get. I know they don't catch. They don't understand. But hopefully we will. Jesus said... Is it, is it a bigger deal for me to say his sins are forgiven or to say, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk out of here? And then Jesus says, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus turns to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. He did the physical miracle so they would know that He has the spiritual power to forgive sins. Remember, the man's biggest need was not his physical paralyzation. His biggest need was he was spiritually separated from God. His sin was not forgiven. And verse 12 says, And the man jumped up. Now, I want to know how that happened. I want to know how that works. I want to know how fast those muscles recharge themselves. How do those ligaments go from being dormant to him not having any muscles in his legs? All of a sudden, he can jump up. How does his heart handle that? I mean, he's been on that mat for no telling how long. He's been paralyzed. He's been inactive. So, not only did, did Jesus give him the power to jump up, but Jesus worked in his cells. He worked in his muscles. He worked in his ligaments. He worked in his blood vessels. He worked in his heart. He worked in his emotion as, 
is can you imagine that Jesus says, what is the bigger deal for me to say your sins are forgiven or to say to this man, stand up, get out your mat and walk, mat, walk on out here. Can you imagine the possibility of fear coming all over this man? Are, are you embarrassing me? I mean, are you, are, are, are you teasing me? Are, are you condemning me here? I mean, everyone knows I can't get off this mat. But obviously, the physical change that happened in him was so unbelievable, he felt it. He knew that he could. Was this the first time he's ever stood up? Perhaps so. We don't know if he was from birth or some accident later on. We don't know, but whatever God did, however Jesus was able to accomplish this, it was enough. It was enough power for him to be able to leap off that mat, stand up, and walk out of there. Now, what Jesus is doing here and what he's saying to us here today is this salvation is by God alone. Only God could do this. Only God could cause this man to stand. Salvation has nothing to do with man. Has nothing to do with man's abilities. Who here, who in this room, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, any of the religious people, any, any of the religious tribe, any of y'all able to accomplish this power? I'm doing this so you see I have all authority to forgive sins. No political entity can do that. No religious body can forgive sins. And I'm here to tell you today that, that we ought to rejoice that, that salvation, that atonement, is only through Jesus and not through any political means, not through any religious means, not through what man is able to do. Can you imagine if our atonement was based on what people are agree to? That if our atonement was based on what a group of people judge as saved or not saved? Can you imagine how hard life would be? Can you imagine how complicated life would be for us? Now, I mean this to be absolutely political. This week, I watched or heard Dr. Fossey being interviewed before the Congress. And when I listened to his interview, I was so thankful that we are saved by faith through grace alone, and it's not ours ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. And here's the point I'm making. He's in there with the House of Senators, or representatives who it is, and he's answering questions about the virus, about this, that, and the other. And, and, and look, I don't know the man. I, I don't know where he really is. I have a suspicion based on my, my hearing what he had to say. But they got him to say that all large gatherings, all gatherings of people is a danger. And he says, the science tells us that we shouldn't gather together. Should we have baseball games? No crowds in baseball games. No crowds in basketball games. No crowds doing this. No golfing crowds. None of this. We really shouldn't be having crowds together. He said, that's what the data tells him. That's what the science tells him. And then he was asked, how about riots? And he said, no, I'm not going to say that. No, no, no. Now, I know it was a political stunt by the, by the representative. No question about that. He was making a political point. But so did the guy that's been making all the suggestions about how we're supposed to live. He made a political point. 
He says, no, I'm not going to say that we ought to keep people from rioting. But, but, but you've just said that, that this thing spreads when groups of people get together and don't wear masks and do this. He goes, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that. And I, 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 I'm here to tell you that I was waiting for Susan to get out of rehab and when I heard him say that, I said, Lord, thank You so much that our atonement, the forgiveness of our sin, our salvation, our salvation, the truth of whether or not we are right with God has nothing to do with man because that is the way it would be. It would be just like that if they agree, if the body that is determining, the body that is judging whether or not we have our sins have been atoned for or it hasn't, it would be based on, now, if they go to church, they're not atoned. But if they riot, they're atoned for. Because we don't want to hurt their feelings. When they riot and break things and tear people's property up, we've got to understand, it's pinned up frustration from the years of history. No, I don't want my salvation to depend on mankind's judgment of what, what's right and what's wrong. So I rejoiced. I just said, Lord, thank You so much that our salvation has nothing to do with what man does. Because if salvation had anything to do with what man does, we would be in a mess. We would never know for sure about our salvation. We would always be wondering. We would want to know who's in charge, who's got the most power, who's got the, who's got the most clout. Who's going to be able to speak for me on Judgment Day? I want a good speaker. I want a strong speaker. I want a well-liked speaker. I don't want Elijah. They don't like him. I don't want, I don't want John the Baptist, my stars. I don't want him speaking for me. I, I, I don't want, man, I, I don't want the Pope speaking for me at salvation, at judgment. I don't want a priest. Man, I, I, I've heard about popes. I'm, I've heard about priests. I've heard about these people. I don't want a person doing that. I want Jesus, the sinless, perfect, Messiah, anointed Christ, the Son of God, to speak for me at judgment. He is my child. He is my family. Lee, his sins were forgiven when he believed that I died for him. Father, let Lee enter your paradise. Salvation is only through Christ alone. Father, help us to hear your words. Help us to read your words. And Father, help us to see that salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. And Lord, this passage of Scripture shows us, teaches us that we need to be passionate. We need to be spending effort. We need to have a priority perspective that people hearing the Gospel meets the greatest need that people have. Thank You, Lord, for, for blessing us with atonement, our salvation that we rejoice in. In Christ's name, Amen.